You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this podcast, Future Net Zero editor Johnny Bairstow speaks with Ben Wallace, Head of Development for Urban Reserve at Amp Clean Energy, as they discuss energy flexibility, security of supply, and the net zero transition. Hello and welcome to this podcast with Ben Wallace, uh, Head of Development for Urban Reserve at Amp Clean Energy. So he's joining me, Johnny Bairstow, today at Future Net Zero for this podcast, and we will be talking all about energy flexibility. So hi, Ben. How are you? Yeah, morning, Johnny. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to hear it. First of all, could you just introduce yourself and the company uh, for some of our audience that might know exactly what it is that you do? Yeah, well, my name's um, Ben Wallace. I'm Head of Development at um, Amp Clean Energy. Amp Clean Energy is a, is a business that focuses on a, a real broad mix of, of distributed um, energy. So that's sort of energy projects at the, the lower level of, of, of the system. Um, they are biomass projects, provide low carbon heat in, into business and industry. Um, we also develop sort of flexible projects, which I think we'll talk about it in a bit. We've got 30 or so of those um, either in build or, or about to be in building across the UK. Uh, and, and also a little bit around the energy storage market. We're, we're starting to, to sort of dip our toe into that. So a broad business doing a lot of things um, and, and keeping very busy. Perfect. Well, thanks for the introduction. Uh, And of course, you're a partner of Future Net Zero. So anyone listening to this, if you want to find out more about AMP, uh, then you can go onto our website and go on the partner page uh, and read about lots of their content there. So before you go and do that, uh, we're going to kick this podcast off. So Ben, in flexibility is what we're going to be talking about today. In simple terms, what is it and how important is it? I mean, flexibility is is going to be um, and is one of the most important parts of of keeping our electricity network upright and moving. I think we often forget how how lucky we are and how, that we don't have to think about turning our lights on and that the light will just switch on and our, you know charge our cars in the future and then turn on our washing machines. And flexibility is really about two things, and it's it's about maintaining a security of supply, which is avoiding power cuts, and it's also about facilitating a, a transition to, to net zero. Um, and it's it's really those things that are, are driving this flexibility agenda uh, and grow very quickly. I mean, what's happened 50, 50 70 years ago, the, the UK infrastructure was built around fossil fuel generators. And fossil fuel generators are, are really good at generating electricity. They're really good at, at flexing, so going, turning up slightly and turning down slightly. And why that's important is you've got to constantly meet the supply and demand have to match. So the amount of electricity that anybody needs has to be met by the amount of electricity that's being generated. The problem with fossil fuels, we all know, is it's fossils. <laughs> it's burning carbon. So we need to move away from that technology and move towards wind and solar. Now, wind and solar, brilliant, another renewable technology, of course, but they're brilliant at producing low carbon energy. What they are not good at is turning on and off quickly when and when you need them. Um, they are obviously weather dependent. So what you've got is you've got old technology, which was good at doing something, but rubbish at carbon. And you've got all this new technology, which is great for carbon, but not very good at turning on and off. And that's when flexibility comes in. Flexibility is about making renewables be able to respond positively to changes in, in supply and demand. 
Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people don't think about, isn't it? About how uh, supply and demand have to actually be matched the whole time. And you can't just have loads of supply that, you know, covers demand, but there's a huge surplus of it. That doesn't work. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's, it's the old the national grid of love showing graphs about what happens during the FA Cup final at half time and everyone turns on their kettles or when the royal family come out to celebrate a big special occasion. You can't guarantee those events will happen on a sunny day. You can't guarantee those events will happen on a windy day, but the demand for electricity will peak. Now, you know, we need to make sure the system is robust um, and we need to do that by building flexibility because we can't rely on coal stations which which are closing well mostly closed already we don't really want to be commissioning huge large gas power stations to, to do that we need to be more nimble about how we manage that flexible piece and you know if we want more wind and more solar and more low carbon um, we're going to need more flexibility to back it up so it's it's if you can't really develop low carbon technologies without developing a flexible fleet of, of, of projects with them yeah, they are they are intrinsically linked so flexibility itself is becoming an increasingly valuable resource then on this road to net zero. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was trying to explain this um, to my family the other day, actually. And if, you, if you think of it in simple terms, you know, 50 years ago, you had, you, you, let's say you had 100 units of generation that was required to meet 100 units of demand. Fantastic. Not a problem because you could turn the technologies on and off. If you now need the same amount of electricity, but 50% of it, say, is from wind power, what do you do when it's not windy? Now, obviously, you know, the UK is a big place. It's not, it's not like the wind is off or on. Um, but if, if 50 units was now coming from wind, what happens if it's not windy? You're only getting 20 units. So you still you need to make up that shortfall. It's, it's really about a balance of, of, of mass balance if you did that in you know, science lessons at school. So you do that by building flexible power. So you, the, it sits there, ideally doing nothing, whilst low-carbon technologies do, do the good work. But when it comes to it, if the low-carbon doesn't turn up, we've got the opportunity to avoid power cuts. It's a brave topic for the family dinner table, that one. Uh, <laughs> yes, it uh, is. And uh, why, why do you think there's been so much demand for flexibility this winter? Well, this, this winter has been really interesting, especially, you know, we're, we're talking during um, one of the coldest periods we've had for a long time. Was it last night, the coldest night in 26 years or something in Scotland? And actually, electricity prices this week haven't been too bad. Um, and that's partly because we, we understood that the cold snap was coming and it's also been particularly windy. So actually, this, this cold period hasn't driven huge prices. And prices are really a proxy for scarcity of electricity and the need for flexibility. But if you look back into January, we had some record-breaking prices. There was a, one point there was a price of £4,000 per megawatt, which is about 70 times more than you'd expect normal power price. And it's really, that was about a number of different factors. And this is why the electricity network is so complicated. At that point, we had COVID issues. And you might ask, how does COVID affect power? Well, um, a number of nuclear power stations, both in France and in the UK, were off for maintenance and repairs. And those maintenance and repairs have been delayed by the lack of staff because of COVID. So what you had was large power stations not being available during a cold spell, you know, that reduces the amount of base load, that creates scarcity electricity, and that creates huge amounts of power spike, um, price spike, sorry. 
And then you add to that the fact that that cold snap earlier in January wasn't particularly windy. It was quite a still period, low pressure over the UK. So suddenly you get this you know, base load from nuclear power has been taken away. Wind power is not too prevalent. The demand for electricity is high because it's cold. People are heating their homes. It's dark, longer days. People are putting their lights on. And also, you know, obviously, the industry. So what you end up is with this ability for flexible power to come in, meet the shortfall, uh, and, and keep everything going. So you've uh, you've sold me on the case that flexible power is going to be an essential part of uh, our future going forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll be glad to hear that. And there's going to be lots of new technologies coming onto the grid. So there's going to be more, even more renewables than there are currently. There's going to be many more electric vehicles coming onto the grid, which of course are going to uh, add their own own kind of demand. And I suppose my question is, are we on track to deliver enough flexible capacity to support these new technologies that we're going to need? I think at the moment, we're probably not quite there yet. I, I don't think we are really recognizing the importance of flexibility i think i think it is growing in the agenda the fact we're having this conversation tells me it's growing in the agenda but we need to be mindful that as we as we accelerate into renewable development we need to also accelerate into flexible development i mean what we have seen is a is a massive growth in the energy storage market which is something um you know that are are participating in and, and really supportive of but we also must remember that battery technology is in itself limited. So people often forget, sort of forget batteries are charged and they are discharged. They are charged from the grid and then they are empty. But most batteries in the UK at the moment have a one hour duration. And what I mean by that is a battery is charged over a one hour period and then it is discharged, emptied over a one hour period. Now, if you look back into the power spikes in January, when you know we did have um, loss of load probability in the double figures, that's the chance of a power cut, went to double figures of percentages, those periods ran for multiple hours. So once your battery has, is empty, it can't then provide further support to the system. So we need to look at two types of flexibility. One is around what battery storage can do, that's short-term flexibility. It's also about ancillary services where they support the grid through frequency response, which is, is a way of maintaining supplies. But we also need to look at how do we look at flexibility in the medium term. So that's a sort of the two-hour, two-hour-plus, certainly into day, maybe days, in single-figure days. And, and that's where technology, um, you know, we, we work on gas peaking plants, often sort of seen as popular because they're, they're fossil fuels but you know the, the phrase is often banded around the offices you know sometimes you need to burn a little bit of gas to save a lot of carbon which is a bit tongue-in-cheek but we need to look at how we find technologies that can fill that medium-term gap um, it could be hydrogen which is obviously um, very much a buzzword in the industry and perhaps hydrogen fueled gas peaking might be the way forward but until hydrogen comes at a price which is is deployable. We've um, we've got some thinking thinking to to go for really. Yeah, so it sounds like diversification, I suppose, is is the key there, and it's not just as simple as build more batteries. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you pick a football team, you don't pick eleven strikers, you pick some defenders, you pick a couple of wingers, you pick a couple up front, and you need you need different horses for different courses, and so batteries are going to be a big part of of the transition. But are they the the, the only solution? Well, they're not. I mean, ultimately, if you if you want to store um, huge amounts of electricity for long periods of time batteries really as they are today are not suitable 
and 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 also the you know, lithium iron needs to be dug from sensitive places in the world and, and mined and bought and manufactured. So it, it is a complicated issue, um, and it, it's one that I think we've got a long way to grapple with and very a short amount of time to do it. You know, there's the growth in renewables is 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 rapid and should be applauded, and our transition hopefully is going to happen way before 2050. But we we need more support maybe from the government um, and, and other sort of places to, to help develop these technologies and develop options that are really going to be um, there for the for the medium to long term. So moving from the the medium to long term, as you say, to uh, the situation right now, if you had to summarise it, what do you what would you say is the current state of play uh, in the UK's flexible energy market? Um, I think I think it's, it's 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 interesting that there probably aren't that many players, established players. Um, in the market and it's actually really being met I would say by the sort of the middle tier kind of player so the big six the big utility businesses are very much focused on you know huge capital expended projects so offshore wind you know is, is obviously eating up a lot of their time and then there's obviously a huge amount of small developers out there who are building um, who are developing assets but probably not building assets because they don't have the funding base it's just really where companies like Amp, Clean Energy and, and, and a few of our competitors are, are trying to fill the gap and I, I do wonder whether or not you know businesses like ours we're going to have to carry quite a burden to, to do that amount of work and I actually expect to see more larger utilities start to recognize the importance of, um, of flexibility and start to move into this space so yeah I mean it's it's it's, it's a good time for us as a business you know there's, there's lots of space to grow and I think um, there's lots to keep us busy but um, at the moment I think you know the industry needs to grow um, and it probably needs support from from major utilities and, and major funds. And there are, there are barriers and hurdles um, in the way of, you know, pretty much any technology or, or business model on the way to net zero. Otherwise, we'd probably already be there. So I've got to ask you, what barriers to flexibility exist? What stands in the way? I think, you know, I'm a, my, my role is in development. So I, I think mostly around planning, around connections and around properties is sort of my my day job. So the, the ones that are really hindering development are, are certainly around networks. Um, so networks were just never designed with low carbon technologies in mind. They were never designed to have huge demand through EV charging. You know, substations and, and, and cables have a capacity and they were originally really designed as a top down system. Where we are struggling is to work out how do we evolve networks to allow us to be more flexible in the way we use electricity and the way we distribute electricity. You know, a good example at the moment is you are allowed to get a, a connection agreement with a network operator that says you can only consume electricity during a certain time of the day. What you're not allowed to do is get a, a connection agreement which allows you to export during certain times of the day, which is exactly what a battery needs, for example. So at the moment, there are real real sort of barriers to entry. So networks is a, is a real problem. And I think that's going to have to come um, top down because you know at the moment the system works that you build a project um, and you trigger costs in the network and you pay for them. Well, the reality is if those costs have bigger societal benefits than your project, how do we pay for those? Is it through bill pay? Is it through network charges? I think that's going to be a, an interesting thing we're going to see around Ofgem's um, involvement and, and ultimately the DNOs becoming, um, they're now network operators, they're now going to have to become um, more smart around how they manage their networks. 
and then and then the other part piece is around is around planning actually and about acceptability of technologies. I mean, we we work a lot on on gas peaking plants. They're you know you know let's be honest, they're they're not they're not pretty things, um, and then they can be you know make some noise and and what have you. And people people don't really want them in their back garden. A bit of nimbyism, but the reality is they do want to turn on their lights when it's dark and still on a, on a cold, windy day, windless day. So planning policy needs to support flexibility and it needs to make sure that it recognises its importance in, in the sort of local networks and also in the national state of play around flexibility. So, um, yeah, real development of networks and I think a continued support or renewed support for flexibility within the planning system are, are two things we need to be careful of. Yeah, well, thanks for running us through some of the barriers there. But the the good thing about barriers is that they can usually be overcome. And once they're overcome, I think there's a whole range of opportunities that can be realised, you know, from these changes. So what's Amclean Energy doing to kind of make the most of these opportunities available and make sure we get over the hurdles? Yeah, I think I think if you just sort of go back to the, the two points, really. So on on networks, we, we're working with a number of um, networks now to to challenge the status quo, to, to to work with them about how we we change the rules around import and export around batteries uh, in particular. We're also looking at um, <clears throat> a number of you know, different types of technology. How do we how do we use new technology in, in different ways and old technology in better ways? So AMP's doing a, a huge amount of work in, in, in that space. We're also doing some work, National Grid, around inertia and short circuit level, which starts to get quite technical, but it's all about um, replacing the parts of the system that keep keep everything going that's not just power. I'm trying to sort of <laughs> try, to, try not to wander into too much jargon, but it's 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 there are there are more than just electric electrons going onto the system. There are it's more complex than that. So technology, we're we're in all sorts of fingers and all sorts of pies, which is really important. And then I think the other thing is just you know keeping active and keeping committed to to future development. You know, as a business, we. We're year on year growing at quite quite some some rate, developing more and more assets, and we we see that as a as something we just need to keep doing, keep filling this space, and keep trumpeting its importance because um, we think yeah, it is vitally important. And pleased that National Grid and and government are also starting to recognise it. Well, thank you very much, Ben. That was a fantastic uh, interview right there. And uh, I think you did manage to avoid a lot of the uh, the hurdles of jargon uh, in dealing with <laughs> quite a complicated topic. I understood everything you're talking about. So um, you've done a good job there. Uh, and I look forward to talking with you in the future about uh, how things are going and uh, how those barriers are coming down. Thanks, John. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a Future Net Zero podcast along with our partner, AMP Clean Energy. This has been a promoted podcast. Thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www.futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.